Hello and welcome back to a new episode. Today we are talking to the hybrid athlete and four times DECA world champion Rylan Shedeg. This was one of those episodes where I had planned topics of conversation and set questions, but 10 minutes into the episode they got out the window and we went down rabbit hole after rabbit hole. It was a super fun and interesting conversation. We cover topics such as how Rylan balances competing on the world stage at so many different sports, his unbelievable childhood and values instilled in him by his parents, just wait until you hear some of the stories, his journey from cyclist to fitness racer, balancing coaching, running a business and racing, how his faith impacts what he does and how he does it, his deepest fear, his upcoming plans and so, so much more. It's an utter privilege to talk to the people that I do on this podcast, and this episode was like meeting a kindred spirit. Our backgrounds and viewpoint on the world are so similar that we're planning to meet up this summer in the French Alps to hang out. I'm sure there'll be a part two to this conversation, and maybe then I can ask some of the questions I meant to ask this time. Enjoy the episode. Rylan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, brother. So we were just chatting at just how busy you are because you're balancing with so many events. You know, you've got your High Rocks, your Spartan, your Decker. You also mountain bike a lot. How are you finding balancing all of those things? I'll be real with you. It, it's not so much the racing. It's everything outside of it. I had my house flood earlier this year. And so I've slowly been chipping away at... Uh, repairing some things in my basement because I had to like rip out drywall, rip out the flooring, redo the trim, stuff like that. So it's been quite a process. And then on top of that, you know, I started a business about a year ago now, uh, a little more than a year ago. Um, and then I'm also involved in another business uh, that's like a supplement company. So I help design supplements for them now. I'm starting to find my limit for sure on time and what is like possible for for me to still be able to compete at a high level, but also, you know, also have some life outside the sport because uh, at, at least right now, um, there's only so much money you can make in the sport. And I've also never really been someone who wants to rely fully on athletics uh, because eventually that will, you know, even if I make it until I'm 40, 45 years old, I'm still gonna have to do something else after. So I'm very much a long-term planner been that way for a very long time now and so I'm trying to set up things so that later in life I'm not questioning like well what am I going to do now when I stop racing uh, professionally so trying to get a lot of that stuff going now and trying to focus on finding things that I love outside of sport and then uh, trying to find the balance between doing that but also still being competent at racing so uh, to be honest with you I'm I'm definitely starting to find my limit for sure or at least it feels that way. Obviously, you've got your finger in a lot of pies. Do you think that aids your performance at all because it distracts you when not racing? Because we were discussing earlier just both of our backgrounds in cycling. When I was full-time mm -hmm. riding and training, in fact, 20, 25 hours a week, there's so much free time that I actually found that I enjoyed life and raced better when I had other projects on the go and wasn't just exclusively training and racing. I do think that it can help. There's there's a threshold for sure. There's There's definitely just like training like you have when your body can't clear the lactic acid fast enough and you're just kind of like that's that's your threshold like that you can't you have too much coming in and not enough getting pulled out it's the same thing in life where it's a lot higher than many people think it is like i i think especially with cell phones now we waste so much time on instagram uh any sort of social media like tiktok uh, youtube stuff like that so we actually, like most people have way more time than they'll admit to. For instance, uh, I, I do get asked like how I run a business and how I coach and also kind of dabble in other things while competing at a high level. And if I'm being real, like uh, after Trifecta Worlds, for instance, everyone else was at the after party and I actually stayed up until about 1 a.m. working right after the race, you know, like podiums were over. I had dinner with some friends and then from probably about 8 until 1 p.m., or sorry, 1 a.m. I was working and then uh, at Trifecta Worlds, same thing, like on Saturday and Sunday night, I was uh, working basically as soon as I could get out of the venue. 
until around midnight and then I'd fall asleep and, and do it again. And then on, I think it was Sunday night, I made it out for about two hours with some friends. They, they got me out of the house and, uh, but then I had to pay for it the next morning, uh, while I was in the airport flying to Dubai and just like crank out as much work as I could. Um, because obviously like I don't want the quality that my clients are receiving to drop. And so to me, it's like, I live this lifestyle, but they, they pay me to, to give them a certain quality of programming and also like on time and in a, in a, in a way that they can understand. And so if like, I'm not just gonna, I'm not just gonna cheapskate it. Um, which is also why, like, I, I feel bad cause I have a wait list and I haven't gotten back to everyone on the wait list on like, Hey, I'm full. I, I can't take more clients right now, but, uh, hopefully sometime in the future, but I haven't even made it there yet because like I, I cap the amount of clients that I can take because yes, I could make more money if I took on more clients, but then the quality would drop or I would have to stop racing and training and like, at least in hybrid athletics, um, especially hybrid racing and even Spartan racing a bit. It's such a new sport. It's one of those sports where if you have a coach who has, hasn't done it and doesn't continue to do it, or at least hasn't done it for a long time, it's very difficult for them to relate with how your body is going to feel going into a certain workout after you did something completely different. Like I might smash myself on the bike for three hours with some like sub threshold intervals and then go into a run straight after or vice versa. And if you it's, it's, I view it as like, if I don't know what that feels like, it's very difficult for me to program that for somebody else and then tell them like, oh, okay, like that's understandable that you didn't hit these numbers because of this. So that I actually highly value that in myself. And I'm not, I'm nowhere near done learning. And especially when it comes to like high rocks, deca, uh, trail running, I, I want to continue to learn and experience like the pain myself so then I can better help other people. And so to me, it's, it's not really an option. Like I'm, I can't take any more clients right now because I want to maintain the amount of training stimulus that I have and even push that a little bit. And then I also don't want the quality to drop. So that's kind of, that's how I view it. Do you think that as a coach that helps you at all when competing and vice versa? Because we had uh, Joshua Sharma on the show, who's a CrossFit athlete and okay. there's a common conception in CrossFit that you can't coach yourself to be a better athlete. And he was saying that that's not true at all because he would see things on the competition floor and then he could take to his clients. And then sometimes his clients would suggest something and he's like, oh, that's actually a really good idea. So he very much saw his progression in CrossFit very much thanks to his history as a coach. I actually completely agree with him. Um, so I've actually, I've been coaching for about eight years, but I started out with cyclists and well, I guess footballers before that or soccer players, the rest of the world calls them footballers, but, uh, here in America, we call them soccer players. Um, so I actually started coaching soccer really young. Um, but my passion was definitely endurance athletics. So. I started coaching cyclists probably about seven, eight years ago. Um, and then that kind of morphed into runners and OCR athletes as I started doing that way more. And then hybrid athletes uh, a lot now. And so I have found that to be very true where it is helpful to get ideas from clients as well because sometimes they think of something that I definitely have not. Um, or vice versa, and I'm able to help them because I've seen other athletes do it because I'm racing in the actual events. Like, that's one thing that I'm actually struggling with myself is when I'm 50 years old, I know I still want to be coaching. When I'm 60 years old, I, I honestly think I still want to be coaching. And I'm, I see how much benefit I get from competing and not just competing, but competing against the best people, like watching like I'm, I'm a very analytical person. Um, and so I'll look at what people are wearing on the start line. I'll look at the way that they're running during the race. I listen to their breath as I go by to see like how anaerobic they are or how comfortable they are. And I also like, I learn things, uh, for instance, someone I, I really like, cause he also is a cyclist and he's very analytical about things on the OCR side is Ryan Atkins. He'll make custom shirts with like pockets for ice cubes to race in the, in the desert, like, um, just things like that, where 
sometimes it takes us seeing someone else do it to be like, oh, okay, that's a good idea. And so when you compete at the highest level, I feel like those are the people who are constantly looking for an edge. And so you just, when you get to see that on the start line and throughout the race, you also can pass that down to your athletes. So I'm definitely, definitely with him on that. And then I think the biggest benefit for me personally is especially this last year when I wouldn't say I was injured. It was more of a, like a, my immune system was shot from being a, a firefighter and not sleeping a lot. Also having some like relationship issues, stuff like that. Um, so my, my body was not good at fighting things like viruses. And so basically I got an infection on my foot and it, it got really bad and like really painful. And so it took a long time for me to be able to run again. And one of the things that helped me the most was athletes would encourage me, which was awesome. Like my athletes are so cool. Like they, they know what it's like to be out for a while. They know what it's like to have, like a lot of them have had, you know, their house flood at one point, like there, it's amazing how much life experience older athletes have. And so when you talk to them, it's really nice to, for them to be able to give you perspective on life as well. And then also I like to think about, okay, what if, if it, one of my athletes was not able to run, which a couple of them, like that's happened to, um, if they're not able to run, how would I have them train or how would I encourage them that they can continue to like build their aerobic capacity on the bike or like maybe take up swimming, even though they hate it, like stuff like that. What would I push them to do as a coach? And then I basically turn it on myself. And that definitely helps me um, because I also view it as like, if I don't try those things on myself, how am I going to ask someone else to do it? After racing, then I coached some local guys just for a bit of fun, helped them along. And the biggest thing as a coach that I took away was when one of them is injured or, you know, they're just not feeling great. And as a coach, you're like, hey, relax, just take a few days off. We'll hit back to it on Wednesday. And mm -hmm. the perspective that you get from the coach's side where everything's just nice and calm. Whereas from the athlete side, when your coach said, hey, relax, have a few days off, you're like, no, I will not. And it's like, I'm oh, going to lose five my fitness. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's all going to disappear. My whole season's over. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's funny you touched on there. One of the funny things that I miss about racing road bikes, for example, was analyzing the competition whilst racing. So it's like, how are they feeling? How is their breath? You know, oh, that knee is pulling in more than it usually did. Oh, they've had two gels in the last 5K. That's unusual behavior. Maybe they're going to bonk soon. Or it's like their head's tilted a bit more than, you know, what it was like 5K ago, you know, as they're yeah. like trying to pull a turn in the break. You know, oh, it's jerseys yeah. now unzipped. He must be overheating. And it's just like, yeah. it's just endless, isn't it? You must be able to see trends in different disciplines that you do. People suffer in the same way pretty much, don't they? Yeah, and when you when you race the same guys like, I, I do really enjoy how I get to often be the new person showing up or at least the person that's because I'm like racing DECA and High Rocks and Spartan and trail races. I feel like I'm always the, the one that shows up and no one's really sure where I'm at for that specific type of racing. So Trifecta Worlds was in Greece, but the week before I went to Valencia and did a High Rocks. And then the week after I did another High Rocks in Chicago. And it was, it was funny because, uh, you know, like immediately when I, I remember this last year as well, when I won like Pan American champs for Spartan. And then I, the next weekend I went and raced, uh, in Florida, my first DECA fit and the people that saw me do well in a two, I think it was two hour race up in Canada. They were like, oh, okay, well, DECA fits only 30 minutes. It's a lot faster running. It's not in the mountains. There's a lot of strength. Uh, stations involved Ryland's probably never been on a rower like blah 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 and you listen to this podcast ab about me and I'm just like these guys have no idea that I've been like putting in work for this and then you show up and, and you do well or the vice versa is also true where I've listened to a podcast and they're like Ryland's probably going to do really well and I'm like I'm sick or uh, I haven't <laughs> been training for that or something and I'm just like oh I hope so, but probably not. So it's it's fun to be like that the new guy that gets to come in and see other people consistently. Like if I'm if I'm racing high rocks, I've pretty much always raced against like uh Ryan Kent, Rich Ryan, uh some of those Dylan Scott, 
I don't know if I've ever raced David Megiddo, or once, I think, uh, one time in a high rocks, but, uh, and then on the OCR side, like I'm always racing against VJ, Ryan Atkins, um, like a lot of the European guys that are so fast, like Heineck. And Heineck is one where uh, he's from the Czech Republic, loves the guy. So the first time I raced him, I thought I had his, uh, like his breathing pattern and his running gait figured out. And we're in the, we're in, it's me and him fighting for first and second at world champs. And, uh, you know, like I caught up to him, I think at mile eight, cause, uh, I had lost time to him in the first two days. So it was like a stage race, but they stagger the start kind of like a time trial. But, uh, yeah, so he started, I think a minute and a half in front of me and I caught him, I think around mile eight, mile 10, we still had five, five or six miles left. And, uh, his breathing was super funny and his like the way that he runs was a lot of side to side motion. And I thought in my head, I legitimately thought I was like, I got him like he, he's dying. And he just kept going, man, like the same exact way. I, I thought I had him figured out. Definitely did not. That's just the that's the way he is. But now I know that. So next time I race him and, you know, like I, I feel like maybe I can be a little bit more comfortable. No, not with that guy. How would you explain Decker to someone who doesn't know what it is? High Rocks is sort of taken off as well. Everyone knows what Spartan is, but Decker's a bit more niche in that regard. I describe it as it's it's basically like running, and then you do gym workouts. Like that's how I that's how I explain it to people in the airport when they ask like what's on my shirt if I'm because I travel out of a backpack most of the time, so. The shirts that they give me at races, I'll usually wear them because all my other clothes are dirty at that point. And so they'll be like, oh, what's what's DecaFit or something like that? And I'll look down and be like, dang it, I'm wearing the wrong shirt. I'm going to get asked questions. Um, And then because I don't don't really like talking to people at airports that much. Um, But yeah, anyways, I'll explain it like basically run 500 meters and then you're going to do something like box step ups or a farmer's carry or rowing or skiing, or you're going to push a sled or pull it. And, and then you run again and you do that 10 times. That's typically how I describe it. Or at least most people who know what high rocks is, know what Decafit is. And most people who know what Decafit is, know what high rocks is. But if it's someone who doesn't know either, I just, I basically say you run and then you got to be strong too. And you got to do something like lifting weights or or do like a skier or a rower. That's that's how I describe it. It's funny. I saw a reel actually, and they were mocking the influences that identify themselves as hybrid because it's like, so you're a runner who can't lift weights. Well, then you're not fit then, are you? Or you're a weightlifter who can't run, then you're not fit at all. But if you can lift weights and run, then that's just fitness, do you know? And yeah. there's been this whole industry and you're just like the epitome of like the well-conditioned general athlete because you can do all of these things and it's just bringing them all together. And honestly, like I don't, I have probably a different perspective on what a, an actual hybrid athlete is than maybe people in hybrid fitness racing because some people call it hybrid racing. Uh, fitness racing is really common, uh, which I think is a great way to, to, coin the term of like fitness racing makes sense to me because it's it is really like you have to be aerobically fit you have to have a good cardiovascular system you have to be extremely efficient in that manner but you also have to be strong and so i i do think fitness racing is a really good way to put it um and it kind of encompasses all of the not just decafit and hyrox but also uh, events like Battle Bunker or uh, Rally in the Valley, Grit Games, um, kind of these one-off competitions that happen on a weekend that, that that are starting to pop up. I think that it encompasses that because that's also typically those are races. Like each event is a race. So you might do 20 deadlifts at 225 straight into a 100-meter run and then you do 30 burpees. But it's still a timed event and you're still racing. So... I think fitness racing is one of the best ways to put it. And then I just use the term hybrid athlete because at first I didn't really like it. And then I was like, well, this is what everyone is is referring to when they say hybrid athletics. They're talking about lifting weights and running fast. And I was like, well, 
that's part of what I do, but I also do like cycling. I do rock climbing. I love hiking flies. Um, I love running up a mountain and then flying down. I'm actually going to try and go after this podcast. Um, and so like I view hybrid athletics more as, uh, almost like, uh, like a Killian Jornet or like a Ryan Atkins, uh, John Albin guys who like they're really good at a lot of different sports like ski mountaineering trail running um, i think ryan atkins is probably a better description of that because he also would throw down like if he chose to focus on high rocks or deca he would be pretty quick but he also is such a good ice climber he's good at climbing outside like i've, I've climbed with him he's very strong but he's also an incredible cyclist like the guy throws watts out it's crazy he was saying he was in zone two at like 380 watts yesterday or something and i was just like if that's your zone two i'm very very scared right now because uh i've never had my zone two be 350 watts or like <laughs> i think 300 is probably the upper limit of my my zone two so one thing that i really didn't like very much when i was racing was just how specialized you had to be especially in road racing because you have to stay light you can't do too much lifting running you get injured or you hurt your knees and i really like the phrase that you know specialization is for insects and because now it's like i get to go skiing i get to go to the gym i get to run whenever i want i can go on a bike when it's not snowing it's such a better way to approach life and then it means like Oh, I've kind of done running for the last few months. I just want to lay off it now and then go, you know, go focus on something else. So from like having been on the other side of the competitive fence and now I've been back to just been like a keen amateur, just doing loads of different sports is way more fun. I agree. And it, it seems at least for me, uh, cause I, I struggled with an eating disorder and which is why I stopped cycling because I was always trying to be lighter and eventually it, it got to me. Uh, and you know, like for some people that doesn't happen, but I think the last statistic that I read, which honestly I didn't look into it, so I don't know how accurate it is, but it, it in my experience, it's fairly accurate. Where like one in four uh, endurance athletes ends up with, or at least endurance athletes that uh, where weight is really pushed. So like running, uh, cross country skiing, cycling, maybe some triathlon as well, uh, sports like that, uh, like one in four typically ends up with a eating disorder at some point or or some type of unhealthy relationship with food which is kind of wild like 25 percent is pretty high but it, at least in the circles that i've grown up in especially now that we're older and a lot of us have stepped away from cycling uh it's funny we talk about it now and it used to be normal at team camps to be like yeah i'm i'm 165 right now or sorry pounds um I'm 70 kilos right now and or 72 and I'm I'm my goal weight is like 68. Totally normal to come into a uh, camp in the off season and be like, yeah, I'm going to drop 4 or 5 kilos before the season and the season's like 2 or 3 months away and uh that was completely normal. And now we look back and I'll I'll talk with some of my old friends with that and then a lot of them stepped away from cycling for the same reason or they uh, rock climbing is another one where a lot of people struggle with weight as well. I never had a, an eating disorder or an issue at all with food, but it's funny the culture that's involved within it. So I, my typical race weight would be about 71 kilos. Uh, one mm -hmm. season when I was racing in France, I really like took it down to 67 kilos. And the guys who I was living with at the time, they were like, oh, like I was like a total hero because I managed to shave off so much weight. I just had like the worst summer of racing that I'd ever had just because I had no power at all. But it's just like, just because yeah. we'd have our morning weigh-ins and then I was the lightest and I was a hero. It's just crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I, I started racing pretty inconsistently when I got below, because I'm about 183 centimeters tall, I want to say. Um, so a little over six foot. And I was, I got down to like 70 kilos um, as a mount, as a cross country mountain biker, and like a lot of that was my legs. And I remember that usually I was around 72, 72 to 73. And when I got down to 70, my one race, I would like crush it. And then the next three races, just super inconsistent, no power, just nothing in the legs. And it's, it's crazy how we, we glorify in cycling, especially 
like trying to be lighter and lighter. And then a lot of people will get lighter and everyone's stoked for them. And then they suck. <laughs> and it's like it's, their body has nothing left. I wanted to take you back because you've spoken a bit about your childhood and it was quite unconventional in the sense that you had such a family-wide relationship to exercise. Could you just give a bit of background behind the culture that you guys had as a family and then the methodology that your mom applied to it because it's pretty awesome i am very blessed i was actually talking with a friend yesterday about how i i feel like i won the lottery uh people people talk about winning the lottery nowadays and uh how that's like a financial thing like they, they win a couple million dollars that's super cool um i'm i live like one state over from Las Vegas. So uh, a lot of people will travel down to Las Vegas and gamble and blah, blah, blah. And it's always a funny perspective for me to think back and realize I I won the lottery when I was born. Like the family that I grew up in and also the location I grew up in and, and also the country as well. Like I've, I've traveled to a lot of other countries where there's a lot less opportunity. And thankfully I had parents that they didn't only take the perspective of being willing to die for their kids. They also were willing to be examples of how to live. Because I think a lot of parents, they they get caught up in like the, I will do anything for my kids, which is great. Like you should do, if you choose to have children, you should be willing to do just about anything for them. However, there's a difference between being willing to do everything that you can for them and also being like a good example of what their life should look like or what they how they should take care of themselves because if you know like even if you never take care of yourself you never exercise you never eat well because you're giving all your energy to your kids they're going to grow up and do the same thing um they're not going to prioritize themselves they're not they're not going to exercise they're not going to eat well your example is the most powerful tool and so i i had amazing parents for that so like <laughs> Uh, every single day, and I think people don't believe this, but maybe they're starting to because I'm very versatile, but I kid you not, every single day except for Sunday, we would be forced if it wasn't like snowing, and if it was snowing, we would often go spend way more time outside. But like it was a minimum of 30 minutes to an hour of exercise a day, which was a little bit more than the amount of computer time or like time that we were allowed to spend on phones or computers. I didn't have a phone until I was 18, actually. And I was allowed to have 30 minutes of playing. Uh, usually I'd play a game called Pearl Harbor on the computer because I love planes. So basically you go around and shoot down other planes. 30 minutes is up. It's the next kid's turn. And I have to go play outside. Like my mom literally had a 30 minute timer right by the computer that she would start because she's like, you guys are not going to you're not going to grow up just playing on this thing and then we would go play outside for hours like uh another thing that i thought about yesterday was do you know what an airsoft gun is like the they shoot yeah. the, the plastic yeah, pellets in the uk we call them bb guns yeah okay so it's like a bb because we call bb guns the ones that shoot metal pellets oh we like call the air pellets. interesting yeah okay yeah okay yeah. so your bb gun our airsoft guns um like we would have to wear safety glasses, but we would literally run laps around the house and just shoot each other with those for probably three to five hours at a time, like all the time when we were older. And then, and that was on top of like, uh, my mom would take us to a park or we would go to the garage or we'd go hiking or running. Um, basically she would take us somewhere pretty much every day. And we would have to do like 30 minutes of like dedicated exercise or, uh, sometimes up to an hour to two hours, depending on what it was. If it, if it was a hike, often it'd be three or four hours. It didn't feel like she was making us do it because from such a young age, it was just something that was expected. Like my earliest childhood memories were, are literally learning how to ride my bike without training wheels to the park and biking there and then playing at the park and then coming home. And so when I got older, it was just normal for us to like uh even when i was a teenager my mom would come up to my room i'd be studying and she and i'd say like you know mom i'm studying right now i'm kind of like i'm kind of stressed kind of busy 
And she, she would say, well, you know, you study better after you exercise. Have you worked out yet today? And um, at that point, I was on one or two soccer teams at a time or I was cycling. And so it usually it wasn't an issue for me as to whether I would get it in or not. It was more of like her teaching me, OK, like Rylan, you know, you have a hard time sitting still. You should go exercise as a break for at least 30 minutes. Or another thing she would tell us to do is like uh, like pump out 50 to 100 push ups and then start studying again because you get so much more mental clarity. And it wasn't it wasn't something she would just tell us. Like we would literally be sitting somewhere, like even reading scripture, man. Like even, I kid you not, she would be falling asleep while we were like reading the Bible together as a family. And she would stop and do like 20 push-ups and then keep reading. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know anybody else's mom that does that. But yeah, like, you know, she's... 20, 30, 40 years old and still still doing that as I'm growing up. Like, I can't emphasize this enough. It was because of my parents' example. It wasn't so much what they told me. It was that they told me, but I also could see it in their lives. What I don't understand is we also got punished with exercise a lot as boys. Um, <laughs> what were you made to do when you were punished? So pretty standard one was if we were angry, Usually it was like a one mile run minimum because that was another thing that that my mom also did was when she would get frustrated or angry at us or my, my dad or whatever, she would go run. Like she would literally be like, you know, I'm not in a good mood right now. I'm going to go run. So she did the same thing with us where if we like, you know, hit our, our brother or like we got into a fight, whatever. She would either make us hold hands and like stare at each other, which was the worst, <laughs> or thankfully she would make us go like run a mile or two. And then if it was really bad, we'd run three miles. So we had like two laps around her block was one mile, four laps was two. And then there was also a 5k route that all of us had memorized because like that was our punishment route. And uh, I did shortcut it quite a few times, but one of my brothers got caught because she drove behind him without, without him knowing. And he tried to shortcut it and then saw her and had to keep going. So like after that, I didn't try shortcutting it as much. Um, but yeah, she would make us go run, which is ironic because I still love running. Um, but the worst, the worst punishment for sure, like burned into my mind is when we would talk back to her, sometimes she would make us uh, get just the barbell, like no weights on it, just a 45 pound or like 20 kilo barbell and just... Uh, like on the bench, have to do max reps of that until we couldn't, like our arms couldn't go anymore. And so, you know, you're doing like hundreds, hundreds of reps of just the barbell. Cause I'm, I think I was like 14 or 15 at this point. I'm pretty sure it was me talking back to her, like not listening to her being disrespectful. And so she's like, go grab the barbell and you're just going to rep it until you can't. And obviously like me being a teenager, a little rebellious, I, I start faking that I'm getting tired because I don't want to keep doing this. And she just looks at me and says, you're not that tired. You're like, you're not done. Keep going. And so I do like a hundred more reps and she basically knew us well enough to like, she knew where our strength capabilities were and she would just look at us and be like, no, that, that was like half effort, man. You, you're not done yet. So yeah, and my dad, uh, like we would get up at 5 a.m. and go play basketball with him before soccer practice because um, he would play basketball in the mornings or racquetball. I would get up and do, you know, like an hour and a half session on the bike at around 5 a.m. Like I'd bike to the gym and then I would have yoga class with my mom at 7. And so I liked getting up early because that's what my mom and my dad did when they wanted to fit something in. So I'd get up early. I hit my my first bike workout of the day, do yoga with my mom. It's like quality time with her and then bike home and do an evening session later. Like th that was just it was something my parents did. So it was something that I learned to do as well, which I'm really thankful for. How did the experience of having exercise not forced upon you, but you had to do it every day and then also as a punishment? Most people, when they hear that, would think that you would then have a really adverse relationship with exercise, but it essentially had the opposite effect. How do you think that they managed to tread the balance between discipline, 
but also making it your own love and not their love projecting onto you? So at that time, I, I think it would have been different if I was a runner. So I think uh, something that two or three points that I feel like are super important in this. The first one is I wasn't pursuing pretty much anything that they would punish me with. So like I would go from about 13 years old, uh, we got sponsored by a, a fitness company. So we all got heart rate monitors. So I've been training off heart rate for about 13, 14 years now. And we all got heart rate monitors and we would go do circuit training kind of before circuit training was popular. It was, it's supposed to be one of the first guys who had, who invented it, but I don't know if that's actually true. That's what he claimed when we went to his gym. Anyways, so we started doing that and it was all weight-based. So I think that's part of the reason why my mom, it wasn't like a max bench press. It was something that I would really dislike. Like it was just a super lightweight as many times as I could. Cause it wasn't about, it wasn't about making me stronger. <laughs> it was about me burning off steam. And that's what I think leads to the second most important point is like the first one is it wasn't something that I typically would have done to work out at that time. It was something that I disliked. And then I think the second point was my mom and my dad, but especially my mom did the same. So like when she would be upset, she would go run. Uh, when she would be frustrated, she'd go work out. And so it wasn't, it never came from a place where it, obviously no one's perfect, 99% of the time, especially with my mom, it didn't come from a place of you have to do this because it, you're, we're punishing you. It came from a place of you're not behaving well because you are you have too much energy or you you haven't like taken the time for yourself today. So I'm going to go make you take that time. And then when we would get home, she would ask us, do you feel better? And, you know, if we were feeling pretty rebellious or we didn't want to give mom that answer, like we would say no, but everybody <laughs> who's been on a run when they're angry knows that after, like you have to say yes, like at least in your heart, when you're frustrated and then you go for a run, man, that, that, uh, that emotion, that buildup of like tension is released. Um, you get the endorphins as well. Like same thing with cycling with a gym workout, like whenever you push your body, everything else seems easier afterwards. And so she would, we'd get back from like the one mile lap and she'd be like, okay, do you feel better? Um, and then if, if we uh, were disrespectful again, she'd make us run another one and she'd be like, do you feel better? And, and I think the, the main reason I didn't grow up hating running, because at that time I didn't really enjoy running without a soccer ball, but I would do it on my own to make myself faster than other people. And then I would do it uh, for punishment. I would, I would be, it was more of a, okay, mom's giving me a chance to go spend time by myself and push myself so that I can uh, be a better person afterwards. Um, and that is something where I feel like a lot of people think that I run and I work out because I love racing. And the truth is I run and I work out because it makes me a better person. And I think that's the lesson I learned from my mom. And then I think the third most important thing was it always came from a place of love. So uh, even with like a, I know this is pretty controversial, um, but like spanking children, the the way that that a parent does it, I think is actually more important than the actual act. So if you're angry and you decide to hit your kid, I think that's abuse. Uh, that That is abuse. But also I think there's another perspective, just like with punishing your kid with uh, exercise, is if you control your emotions as a parent, which is I, I remember my mom and my dad literally making us sit on the couch until they would they would go to their room or they would my mom would go for a run. She's like, you're you're going to sit on this couch until I'm back. And when I'm no longer angry, then I will punish you to make sure that it wasn't out of a place of anger, because she would literally sit down, especially when I was really young. She would sit down and be like, Rylan, I don't want to do this, but you like you know the rules you broke the rules and therefore this is the consequence like and so that's another thing that i see parents doing now is like anytime they're asking their kid to do something it's like they're negotiating with them they're like okay please give me that one 
two, three, like with my parents, it was, if you do this, this is what happens. And there was expectation. And so if they were angry, they would step back and make us wait because they're like, we're not, we're not going to punish you out of anger. We're going to punish you because this is the rule and you broke it. And that's that. And so I think that's the biggest difference between like abuse or making your kid possibly hate something in the future is the way that you do it. If you're angry when you're, when you're like uh, making your kid run and you're like, you know what, go run three miles or 5k or whatever. If you're pissed about it, then they're probably going to associate that emotion with running. Whereas if like my dad or my mom would come to us and be like, okay, I don't want to do this, but like, this is what you did. We're not angry anymore, but we want to, like, you still need to be punished. And so like, you haven't worked out today yet. You need to go run two miles or you need to go run three and a half K. And it was like a very logical thing. And when my parents did punish us out of anger, I literally remember a few points in my life where like I was pretty upset because they, they were clearly angry when they punished me. And then I would be on my, my bed like as a kid crying because I would be upset. And my dad would come up to the room and he would apologize. And he'd be like, I'm not saying that punishing you was wrong because that was right. But I shouldn't have been angry when I punished you. And I'm sorry. Um, same thing with my mom. She would literally come up to my room and apologize to me as a kid and say, like, punishing you wasn't wrong. Like, I'm not going to apologize for making you run. But I shouldn't have done it out of anger. And so seeing that pattern and then also like she would often go run herself before that and to like calm herself down. I think that's the big difference, man, is you got to like if you're going to ask something of your kids, you got to do it yourself. And do you think you will, if or when you choose to have children, will you adopt that strategy, that link between punishment and physical exercise? It will depend on the kid and what drives them. Um, for instance, all of my brothers and I, and my sister, in fact, uh, we all, I think because it was such a normal thing in our family to exercise and it wasn't negotiated, like it, it was, you will exercise for 30 minutes to an hour per day, like minimum. And then on top of your practice, uh, or if, if we had a soccer practice, we wouldn't have to do our own sometimes. Like it, it's a balance, but uh, all of us were very driven athletically because it was so ingrained from us uh, from a young age that like mind, body, spirit. So uh, like your, for, for our family, it was uh, number one is like your relationship spiritually with God. Number two is like taking care of, of others, obviously. And then yourself was third. But on top of that, like in yourself, you need to take care of yourself spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And like, the way I describe it to people is there's three pillars of your life, your emotional pillar, your spiritual pillar, and your physical pillar. And they're all holding up this, this house or this structure that is your life. And if one of them is deteriorating and crumbling, then the other two have to take more load. And when the other two are taking more load, it's also going to degrade those faster. Like three, three is always going to be stronger than two. And obviously two is always going to be stronger than one and also more stable. So I will definitely teach my kids that, you know, maybe if they're acting out emotionally, maybe it's not the emotional pillar. That's the problem. Maybe physically they're pent up and aggressive because they're, they're a young boy and they need to like have some release. I, th I think a lot of it is because men are not confident in themselves anymore because they don't, if, if you don't grow up being proud of something that you do, like accomplishing something in your life or like when your friends are talking about running and you say like, oh yeah, I ran 5K the other day. And as, as an eight-year-old, like that's pretty cool. Like not very many eight-year-olds run 5K. And so when you, when you can kind of like as a young boy, you have something where you can be proud. I think parents and just as a culture, we underestimate, especially for young boys, like how they're like as a young boy, you want to be proud of yourself. You want to be proud of your family. And if you don't give them the opportunity and push them to do things that are difficult, then what are they going to be proud of, right? 
And so, yes, I, I 100% will push my kids to be physically active, but also feel like spiritually and emotionally active as well. Um, which honestly is like a big reason I'm, I'm still single is like, it's, it's hard to find all three in somebody else. Um, and like the, the person you pick to raise your kids with is a super important choice. And so, you know, it's like, it's something that I realize is a bit controversial about me and my family, but I also legitimately have never met a family. Uh, like I got to spend time with my whole family a couple months ago over new year's or last month over new year's. And, uh, every time I get together with my whole family, man, it's like, it's almost like euphoria. It's like, yes, we, we stress each other out sometimes, but I really haven't met a family that loves as deeply as mine and also loves. Like we literally went and climbed a mountain with our skis and skied down. Like that was, that's a normal thing for us. And, uh, there's not many, there's not many families out there. And I, I hundred percent believe in learning from people who have had success. And my parents definitely have had major success in raising their family. And so as much as I can, I'm going to mirror what I think was beneficial. Um, and as well as other people that I've met that have really successful families, those are the people I'm going to ask. Because there's so many people giving marriage advice, you know, like raising kids, how, how you should do it, blah, blah, blah. And then when their kids are adults, like their kids never talk to them. Their kids don't really, they're not successful in what I would view as success, which is like, they don't love other people. They have bad relationships. You know, they, maybe they're addicted to drugs or alcohol or something like that. Like those things happen, but the way that you raise your kids can help with that. And so I'm a huge believer in, if I want to learn something from someone, I want to learn it from someone who has done it correctly, or at least done a very good job. And so, yeah, I'm definitely going to use a lot of what my parents did. I'm seeing so much mirroring here. So I'm the youngest of five children. We spent all summers, we'd drive out to the Alp in a car and camp for two weeks. We just go like mountain biking, rock climbing, hill walking and all of this. And then even like the example that your parents set. So my mum in lockdown, because she wasn't working because no one could leave the house, I had to like go out training. But I would wake up every day to the sound of my mom on an online gym session and because she wasn't working she all she did was gym sessions so you do like three one hour sessions you do a strength a hit and then like a yoga or a pilates i'm like oh man oh, i don't remember really training today i'm like my mom has already done two hours of training it's like i better get out the door <laughs> and then, that's amazing mate and then even like i saw a quote and it was like success as a man is when you grow up and your children want to hang out with you not because they're your children and you're their father, but because they think you're just a generally cool guy. And I was like, I hang out with my dad all the time. That's awesome. Do you know, we go mountain biking together. We go, you know, all of, all of this jazz. And then even what you were saying there about finding a partner. And it's like, we ski together, we run together, we ride together. And we're like constantly motivating one another because if one of us isn't feeling it, the other person is. So it's like this constant yeah. synergy Obviously, there's as a you have a genetic advantage as a male, so it's like you have to maybe go a bit easier on the running or the cycling. But for what I have to sacrifice in that, I far make up for in the fact that she makes me get out the door twenty percent of the time more than what I do if it was just me. And I think that's something that's so underrated and under talked about is that if you find someone on a similar mission to you in whatever aspect, then the results will just be off the charts. Because even like physically, for example, it's just like you're motivating each other, you're pushing each other. When it comes to raising children, if you're on the same mission, like the results can just be phenomenal. Yeah. Another, I guess recently I've been having a lot of deep discussions with, with friends and it's it's been nice, but like... I, I, I thought we'd come onto this podcast and talk about fitness, but this is way better. <laughs> well, we can also talk about that too. Uh, I've been told by people who have been like, married for a long time is a couple of things. One is like love is in action, not a feeling. And a lot of people marry off of a feeling like I feel love for this person. And then that feeling fades. And then it's, then what are you going to rely on? Same with like, you know, physical intimacy and sex and stuff like that. Like if that's what you're getting married for, well, and within that fades, like what's your base. And so it's like, <laughs> if uh, the big three that I've been told are like, 
uh, your, your like faith construct, like, do you believe similar things about life? What the purpose of life is? And then the second one is, do your families get along? Like, is it always going to be a struggle of who's going to which family? And I hate your family. So I don't want to go there. And like, you hate my family or blah, blah, blah. Like, do your families get along? Like, that's something also that causes a lot of divorce is the stress from that. And then obviously everyone else, the big the big three that to round it out is how you spend your money. Like if you can nail those three, your chances of having success in marriage are supposed to be much higher. And so I think it's like, it's important to learn from people who have been married for like 20 to 50 years. Like, how'd you guys do it? And you're like, well, this, this, and this. And it's like, okay, all right, well, that's what I'm going to try and do then. You know, it's crazy. It's, it's just like fitness. You know what you were saying that you shouldn't take advice of someone who's not necessarily done, say like a, a Decker or something like that, because they don't know what it's like been in the same situation. And it's like getting marriage advice to people who've been married for like 30, 40 years because they've been doing it for 30, 40 years. Yeah. So you're very open about your faith online. And I wanted to ask you how your relationship with Jesus manifests on a daily basis when you're doing all of these activities and it's as an athlete you have to be very self-centered don't you you have to focus how am i feeling today how am i going to perform today and how do you balance that then with having this living faith walking alongside jesus that's a difficult question man um actually last night i had a hard time sleeping because i'm i have some big decisions coming up that will heavily dictate where i feel like my life will go uh which i'm not really I'm open about a lot, but those things uh, I still want to keep private. But uh, even the way that I approach those decisions is different because I I don't do this often because I, I believe you can pray in pretty much any way that you want. Like I'll pray standing up, sitting down, lying down in my bed before I sleep. But at, at pretty pivotal moments, like sometimes I'll, I'll literally like get on my knees and be like, I don't, I don't know where I'm going. Uh, I don't know what you're trying to tell me, God. Like, things are like there's so many different paths right now i can take or sometimes at more rough points in life uh like this last summer uh when it feels like every door that you're trying to open is being slammed back in your face uh i think there's there's two major times where i'm really asking god to show me where to go and it's when i have a ton of opportunities and when i have no opportunities and those are the most difficult times for me because that's where like i have to continue to try and do uh what i view as like keeping the ship moving uh because one of my favorite spiritual analogies that that i think of is like if you give like there's a song i think called like jesus take the wheel i don't really listen to it because it's not my favorite song but it's like basically giving your control over to him and i like to think of it as a ship or or something like that, where if I'm not like, you can give Jesus the wheel of your car or your ship, but if you're not moving anywhere, your rudder is use useless. Like you, you, he still can't direct you if you're parked in place or if you're dead in the water. And so my, my main thing that I try and do is like always try and be moving towards something, but be open to direction and being like steered into a new direction. So I think that's something that my faith gives me that's slightly different is like, I don't view challenges or I try not to view challenges as a, as something that doesn't have purpose because I, I do believe that God has a purpose for my life. And so if something happens, it's usually a question in my mind of, okay, so what else do you have for me? Not what am I supposed to do? And that can be massively beneficial when you're kind of like stuck in place and you're not really sure where to go. It's like, well, Clearly I'm meant to go somewhere because you may like I'm alive for a reason. Otherwise, just like kill me and I'll be done. Like that's that's literally my view, man. Like uh I I was talking with someone yesterday and I told him I was like, I don't care when I die. Like I really don't care. I fear the pain of death a little bit, especially if it's long and drawn out. But because this this earth isn't my home, I honestly don't care when I die. John Wesley, the man who founded the Methodist movement, he had an amazing quote, and he says, I'm immortal until my job is done. As in as ace, it's like, you're, you're on this earth until your job's done, and then, you know, that's you done. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I actually have not heard that. And I, I love that quote. It's, it's true. And so 
I think it allows me to be a lot less fearful. Um, and then when big decisions come, like a couple that I have coming down the pipe, it's uh, uh, I've realized patterns in the way that God directs me uh, when I'm open to his guidance and also realizing like when I mess up, if it's something he really wants me to do, as long as I'm moving towards him and I'm like open to his guidance, like eventually I'll get there. So maybe I make a wrong turn here and there, but uh, because I want to take the wheel back. But as long as I'm surrendering control to him constantly, like I, I will eventually get where he wants me to go because my biggest fear is dying and then talking to God and him being like, hey, dude, I made you to do this and you could have been this and you didn't do it like that would crush me, man. Um, so I view life as a huge opportunity to see just what I'm capable of, to see what he made me to do, like how far I can push it. Um, which I think is a big reason why I stretch the boundaries of how many sports can I compete at, at a, at a high level. And, you know, like maybe swing one way for a few months and then swing the other way. Like I love trying to see what my potential is. Cause I, one, one pattern that I have noticed ever since I was young is I feel like I was made to, uh, cause people to question what they can do. And the only way that I can do that, just like I explained with my, like being a parent is by showing people like doing something that causes them to think of, Oh, maybe I could do that. Or he did that and he did this and I love both. So maybe I can do both things like that. It's so funny. My biggest fear is when I die and then I get to the pearly gates and then I'm told that I didn't fulfill my spiritual potential. And then I've never heard anyone who's had the same. And then you said that and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's more mirroring. But I think it's, it's like summarized quite nicely, like a shape to point of view is true hell is when the person you are meets the person you could have been. Yep. Yeah. And it's just the same yeah. exact principle. Yeah. Yeah. I love the link between a living faith and also physical exercise. We had Eric Little, the 400 meter gold medalist. What a ball. He says, uh, <laughs> he says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And yep. that stems so nicely into everyone always quips, oh, my body is a temple. And it's true. If you believe that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, that makes your body a temple. And you got to look after the temple. You could be crass and link it to like, to be a Christ follower, you need to be in great shape. But you know, you don't really need to take it that far. But it, there's certainly correlations between the two. Uh, you, on Sunday, I was actually talking with uh, some people at church about how I would love to, at some point, create like a physical exercise, like some sort of exercise uh, evangelism where People can come in for free to like the church building or a gym or whatever it is. And like literally we just work out together and then maybe we have a Bible study after. Maybe we talk about God after. But the the actual emphasis is the physical activity because in churches we focus on the spiritual, which rightly so. Like most people are not spiritually minded, so we can use that recentering as much as possible. They They brought that up and I was like, yes spirituality is the most important job of the church but again kind of coming back to the three pillars i was like if if you're not physically as healthy are you able to do as much like so many people they walk upstairs and they get tired or they walk from the parking lot to the church building and like it's painful because at least here in the u.s uh quite frankly a lot of us are not that healthy and so it's, it's painful for me to watch other people be in so much pain, which obviously there's some people, they have health problems, they can't really control. Um, but a lot of, even those health problems, a lot of the time stem from inactivity or from eating habits or, and such. And that hinders you from being able to see other people, from being able to even walk to, to meet somebody or, or to evangelize to people who are also physically active. Um, cause there's like, there's, there's a huge movement in the U S right now where we have uh, younger people like myself and, and we're, we're trying to get plugged back into the mountains. We're trying, like we've become such a culture of being inside all the time on our phones and on our computers. And so there's like this, this breaking out of those of us that want to be in nature again. 
and they feel so trapped because everybody at church wants to stay inside. Like you meet inside, God is inside the church building type mentality. And there's a bunch of us who are like, but I feel close to God when I'm in the mountains. And if you're not physically healthy and you're one of like, you know, you're, you're 50 years old or 40 years old where you still realistically should be able to hike, like barring major health problems, you know, 40, 50 years old, I hope I'm still running. But like if, if a young person who's looking to, to like find who God is, they're 15, 20, 25 years old, they're like, you know, I have some free time, but I want to go rock climb or I want to go for a hike or something like that. And you're, you're not able to even walk or you're not able to even go for a hike. Like that does limit your, your potential to reach out to people if you're not healthy. And so I actually view health as something that like God gave us these, like you said, these temples for a reason. And if we don't take care of them, it does limit our potential to reach a wider variety of people. Uh, which is something I really respect about my dad is he was a, a preacher when I was when I was young. And but he also like he would talk to people and he would meet people playing basketball, playing racquetball, like ping pong. He's he's a really good at all those sports and he's put the time into it to be good. And he's also not ashamed to like work out with people because to be quite frank, like a lot of young people, that's when we connect with others uh, is like through exercise. Where we are in, in the mountains at, out in front, there's like that awe element. Like you get to the top of a 2,000 meter peak and then you just look at the vastness. And mm -hmm. if you are unable to walk that 8K up the hill, then you can't experience the awe. And every time I get to the top of a peak, either like having ski toured up or got the lift up or whatever, or even walked up it, I just reminded of Einstein's quote of when he says, either everything is a miracle or nothing is a miracle. Jared, yeah. you're looking at the, these vast mountain ranges and you're like, oh my goodness, these are huge. Yeah. It's like that verse that says, basically it's talking about the creator and uh, I can't remember where it is. I should be better, but uh, it's basically says like, we will know who he is by the things he's made. Like yeah. we'll know, we'll know there's a God by his creation essentially is what it's saying. And it's like, I feel that for sure. Like the more I see, the more beautiful landscapes, I see, landscapes that I see, the more awe-inspiring nature that I experienced, the more I'm like, wow, I, I don't think this could have just happened. Like, that's really hard for me to believe. Even, even studying about the human body, man, and how it heals itself and how we adapt, like, just like, I, if I threw a bunch of watch parts into a, into a room and then exploded the room, and then I wouldn't expect to find a watch that's like a Rolex right there. And we think that about the earth. And so it's kind of crazy, man. Yeah, it's wild. We talked about some of the big things that you've got coming up. What can you share with the audience? What sort of events touched on that you want to do more? Is it sky running, they'd call it, where you run up and then yeah. like power upon down? I saw a video, actually. A guy did the, the UTMB course, Ultra Trail Mont Blanc. He did the whole course. But he went the uphills, he ran up with a, a shoot. And then when he got to the top of the hill, he then glided down. And like he wasn't that far off the course record. <laughs> Bro, that's that sounds awesome. So yeah, that's that's a an emerging sport. Um the <laughs> I've been telling myself I'm gonna buy a different wing for about three and a half years now. But I actually was messaging someone yesterday because I found a used one because I'm a cheapskate like that. Like I hate buying new stuff, man. Uh, Cause my view is like, if no one's using it, I might as well buy what they're not using and it's cheaper that way. And also you know, like you save the planet a little bit as well. Uh, same with bikes, but obviously nothing like a new bike. Anyways, like I, I want to do that. Uh, one of my 10 year goals is actually to do the Red Bull X Alps. Uh, so around the time by I'm 35, I would like to get more into the paragliding side of things to see if I can complete something like the X Alps. But uh, right now I do more the speed flying side where you hike up or you run up and then you fly down and it's more of like a, a proximity flying. You're doing a lot of air maneuvers and such uh, like barrel rolls, spirals, stuff like that. And I love that, man. It's so much fun. So I, I do really like that. Sky running is just like running basically straight up a mountain and then you bomb straight down and it's a running race. 
Um, so that's a bit different. And then obviously trail running is like a less extreme version of that. So this year, the goal is uh, in a couple of weeks, I have the, the Tough Mudder Ultra, the eight hour race in Saudi Arabia. So I'm trying to work on my aerobic capacity a lot right now. Um, a lot of uh, longer runs, I would say. And then also comboed with like straight onto the bike after. And I'm dropping dropping strength numbers, like not really focusing on max strength like I would for high rocks. Um, and then I'm going to hopefully race high rocks in like high rocks world champs in June in France. So now I actually, I would love to come visit you. I feel like we would get yes. along so well. When we finish recording, we'll, we'll sort something out. Okay. Because this is the part where I feel like we might have some time to spend together. So after that race, I've always wanted to spend time in the Alps um, and the Dolomites as well. But it's been at the top of my list for so long. Like Chamonix, for instance, even Morzine is where Spartan Worlds is, uh, the ultra world champs. And so to me, it doesn't make much sense to you know, fly over across the Atlantic in June, fly back and then fly back again for Spartan ultra world champs. And I've always wanted to spend time in the Alps. So I have this vision of being like, a, as, as meathead as Ryland gets at like high rocks worlds and then transferring over to just straight mountain runner in uh, basically the span of a month, like try and swing as far as I can over, do Spartan ultra world champs and then fly back to the U.S. and uh, U.S. mountain running champs is actually in Utah this year, like two weeks after Spartan Ultra World. So sh like sharpen up a little bit and start trail running a ton after High Rocks, uh, which is around the time that the snow melts off the mountains anyways. And then uh, after that, I don't know, man, depends on how the mountain racing goes, because that's where my heart is. I, I love running in the mountains. We are going to set something up. This is going to be awesome. So with that, everyone's going to be really busy keeping up to date. Where would be the best place to watch you in all of these races? Where would be the best place for people to keep up to date with all your training? Instagram is where I'm most active. However, I am starting to work on my YouTube channel. So my YouTube channel is where it'll be more like long form content of how I train, what my day to day looks like. Because a, like Hunter McIntyre is doing it a bit, like where he'll have some videos on how he trains. But to be honest, like my training is nothing like his. I I don't like training that way. I don't like going back and forth on turf or like running on a treadmill and uh, and then doing some squats. Like I'll do that maybe once a week or once every two or three weeks. But to be honest, like I want to show people that they can get outside and they can do like today i'm probably going to do three by 20 minutes at sub threshold up the mountain fly off the top and then do it again um so i'll probably get like two by 20 minutes on each rep so probably about an hour 20 of sub threshold running uphill and then three or four minute flight down pack up the wing run up again i want to well, show you that there's there's other ways to train so youtube is a good place and then my instagram is at ryland chattig so either or amazing Thanks, dude, for coming on the show. You've been an absolute treat. I didn't ask any of my set questions. We just kind of went off on a tangent, but I feel like that was the best way. Okay. Sorry, man. Uh, maybe next time.